Welcome to Counsel the Word, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be talking about a testimony of biblical counseling. I'm very grateful to have in the studio with me today my good friend and pastor Terry Enns. Uh, Terry and I have labored together as uh, brother pastors for many years and uh, I want you to know that Terry has tied me up and handcuffed me uh, <laughs> here in the studio and uh, is insisting on taking over as the host today. So I am at his mercy. Uh, we have a guest host with us, uh, Pastor Terry Enns, pastor of Grace Bible Church right here in Granbury. So Guest host Terry, uh, the power is yours, my friend. <laughs> Thank you, Keith. Well, it, it's good to spend time with you and uh, always delight in our fellowship together. And as I was thinking about our podcast today, I was thinking um, you are constantly uh, interviewing us and, and uh, finding out about us and our views on particular things related to biblical counseling. And I thought it might be helpful for our listeners and even our own church body to hear your testimony and how the Lord saved you by His grace and then how He has brought you into biblical counseling. I, Apart from the people that we all know as far as uh, reading and studying, uh, the major influencers in the biblical counseling movement. There is no one that has impacted me more in my view of biblical counseling and how I approach it uh, just on a day-to-day basis and thinking through difficult cases as much as you have. I've, I've learned much from you and so profoundly thankful for your influence in my life. And so we'd like to hear more about you and, and uh, God's work in your life to bring you to where you are. So maybe we can just start by asking the, the basic question, how did you come to faith and um, how, did, how did God save you by His grace? Well, it is. It's a story of grace as it is for all of us. Um, you know, Jesus told a parable in the Gospel of Luke about the uh, people that were... Um, viewing themselves as righteous and viewing others with contempt. Mm -hmm. And that goes into the parable he tells about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I really think that my story reflects uh, the Pharisee in that story. Um, I grew up in a wonderful home, uh, church-going home, where I was able to hear uh, theology, good doctrine, uh, heard the gospel message, um, and went even to a private Christian school where those things were reinforced. Uh, but in my pride and fallenness, it was um, my my faith, quote unquote, was a self righteous faith. It was a faith mm -hmm. of you know behaviorism and doing the right thing, and and I was a a self righteous church kid uh, would be the mildest way of putting it. And uh, and just you know understanding what I understand now about why we do what we do and worship. You know, my God was a career aspiration, and um, I pursued that. Uh, through high school and on into college. Um, by God's grace, I heard expositional teaching for the first time late in high school. Uh, a friend of mine dragged me to his Bible teaching church where uh, either my heart had changed or the preaching was very different or maybe a little bit of both. And, um, and I can remember thinking, you know, man, the Bible does have something to say to me that is relevant. And to my knowledge, that was really the first time that it really mm -hmm. connected uh, went off to college and uh, and lived for myself and without the normal restraints of uh, family and home. Uh, God really exposed my sinful heart, my selfishness, um, 
my ungodliness, and uh, through the witness and ministry of a roommate, really, who was a wonderful Christian guy. We were the same age, uh, but just uh, just watching his life, it wasn't so much what he was saying to me as it was uh, his life and seeing a consistency between his faith that he professed and his life that he lived. And that consistency, that authenticity really exposed me. And I realized that I was really just playing a Christian game and uh, in God's kind timing, there are all sorts of things providentially that were going on, but, but really through his influence and, and uh, a dear pastor who became my mentor in those days of college uh, came to repent of my sin and, and, and really see that uh, uh, real faith is a humble trust in God uh, for his mercy, not a pharisaical living out of behaviorism in one in an outward sense and, and not from the heart so and it really just turned my life upside down um, what I wanted to do with my life what was important to me I, I had always uh, not enjoyed reading except maybe you know the DOS manual or something like that <laughs> um, but um, immediately wanted to read my Bible um, you know I couldn't wait to get my homework done so I could read and study God's word and, and things just kind of took off from there so very mm-hmm. kind God's kindness in that you know, even as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking um, that we're recording this the week that David Pallison has entered glory, and uh, there's been a lot of talk about relationships and, and friends that he had, and particularly one friendship, a, a peer of his in university that that was instrumental in his coming to understand the gospel. And, and your part of the story of how you actually came to conversion paralleled that very, very much. Um, and I think just a good reminder of how godly college students, um, young in their faith, can still have profound influence um, that that change the trajectory of a person's life for uh, for the rest of their lives. That's right. Yeah. And how have you have you seen that play out um, in your own life? I, I know, in fact, you have kept uh, in touch with that friend of yours. Uh, I think if I remember right, even recently, you've had some conversation, interaction with him. And how has that relationship continued to to benefit you? And then have you seen similar kinds of relationships in your own life where you're pouring into others kind of at a similar level, um, helping them um, transition in that high school, college age? Yeah, my, my friend that helped lead me to the Lord in college, his name was Dan Nielsen. Uh, they were all Air Force ROTC cadets, so we just called him Lieutenant Dan. And... Um, yeah, I still keep up with Dan. In fact, in God's kind providence, we both ended up on you know separate anniversary trips in Hawaii. Um, and again, just in God's wonderful design, we ended up being on the same island in the same place the same week. So we were able, the four of us, two couples, able to uh, enjoy fellowship together. And uh, and we we talk occasionally, uh, not as much as uh, either of us would like, but um, but keep up with one another. And then my pastor at, in those days, Mark Nymeyer, who. Um, really became my mentor, and I just saw him a couple of months ago in Alabama, where he lives now. And um, so, yeah, I, th- those are really important relationships. I'm thankful for them, and and uh, and continue to look back with God's thankfulness mm-hmm. or with thankfulness to God for that. And then I think turning it around now, um, one of the things that I learned from Pastor Mark was just the value of pouring into young men. I mean. Uh, we were in a very small college town. It wasn't, there was a college there, but it wasn't this big, huge, you know, Texas A&M college station kind of thing. I mean, it was a small college and uh, this dear pastor of a 
small church, um, for whatever reason, poured himself into me and actually to my friend Dan. And, um, and I don't know where I'd be without that influence. And so I think Pastor Mark had a passion and still does for pouring into men, discipling men, training men, you know, to see them, you know, some become elders and pastors and deacons in the local church, but, but really just to see men mentored to be men that will follow yeah. God. And uh, so I know just learning from that and, and wanting to run with that um, since I've been out here at Grace, just trying to identify uh, young men to pour into. And, um, you know, as I'm getting older, that group of younger men is getting bigger. <laughs> in those <laughs> early days, it was just high <laughs> school students. Um, but, um, but yeah, that, I, I think that's part of that passion was yeah. I saw the value in my life and I wanted to, in some way, try to do that in the lives of others. Yeah. And I think that's even extended to what, what you do every summer um, since the time you first interned here is that we commandeer part of your time every summer. So you're leading a, a, a youth Bible study every Sunday night for several hours uh, as you're just pouring the scriptures into those young people. And I know it's had a profound in influence in a lot of young people's lives, including my own children, um, who think back to your influence in their lives uh, during that time. We are profoundly grateful for that. Well, praise the Lord. I like to pretend I'm the youth pastor yeah. <laughs> for at least for three months. Yeah. So tell, tell us a little bit more about how you moved from a young convert um, who was exposed to theology in his church, but I don't think to biblical counseling. Um, so how did the Lord move you from uh, a young convert growing under the influence of a godly pastor to the biblical counseling movement and, and wanting to become certified and become a a user of God's Word in that way? Uh, you know, two, two main events that really God used to move me into biblical counseling. One was when I was very young, um, uh, being aware of a marriage that was uh, hurting and in need of care and counseling, and knowing that the couple in that marriage went to their pastor, and their pastor, who was their shepherd, you know, Couples coming to him saying, we're dying in our marriage, help yeah. us, um, said, I can't help you. And in fact, I can't help you because I know you too well, which wow. as a eight or nine or 10 year old or whatever I was, you know, I wasn't a Christian and I wasn't mature in anything, but I knew there was something wrong with that. Yeah, that's right. And so he did what so many pastors do is they hand him a, a card to a local professional Christian counselor and send them that way. And, uh, and again, that always stuck in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, I knew there was something wrong about that. I didn't know why. I couldn't tell you why it was wrong, but it just didn't seem right. And then the other event, uh, both of these being more painful events, was being involved in a church in my early years as a Christian where uh, our church discovered there was child abuse going on in our church. And when that was exposed, just watching the layers and layers of pain and suffering and harm and uh, just watching a congregation uh, struggle through such a painful event and, and watching uh, our pastor shepherd those people and, and minister to them and want to do that. And so coming out of those two experiences, I went to seminary with an agenda. <laughs> and my agenda was, I want to know how to help hurting people from the scriptures. Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, um, my first year... Uh, at Master's Seminary, uh, went to Dr. Stuart Scott, who was the counseling professor in those days, 
and um, they were offering an advanced counseling course that summer, so my freshman year, the summer of my freshman year, and they were talking about abuse. And I'm like, I've got to take this course. Wow. I've got to take it. And, and Dr. Scott, who's the most gracious man I know, very kindly said, I'm sorry, you have to take our basic counseling <laughs> class first. And I said, Dr. Scott, I will do whatever I can, whatever you want me to do if I can take this class. And so he, again, very kindly said, well, if you read these books and talk to me about these things when you're done, you know, I'll see what I can do. And he was able to get me in. And so that wow. I actually took advanced counseling first before <laughs> the pastoral counseling class that's required as part of the MDiv program. And, and I, I remember learning and just soaking it up and saying, this, this is what I need. And mm. not even sure what I was wanting to be a pastor at that point, but knowing that if I was going to care for hurting people, which, which was literally from, from the moment of my conversion, something I wanted to do, whether I was, you know, fixing computers or designing airplanes, whatever it was to be able to minister to people with the gospel, whatever that looked like. Um, I wanted to know how. And, um, so that class was the beginning of, of learning how to do that. Again, uh, master seminary, um, as you know, has a wonderful, um, uh, you know, classes and whatnot in terms of biblical counseling as an ACBC training center, the Master's University as well. So uh, I got to take a class with Wayne Mack before I left and another couple classes with Dr. Scott. And, um, and that, that really uh, set my heart on a trajectory toward biblical counseling. And, and even when I graduated and came out here to Grace Bible Church, uh, that was one of the things that I really wanted to do was to go ahead and get... Uh, what we now call ACBC certification. It was NAIC certification then, but right. that was something I wanted to do. Um, so that just, that started it all. Okay. Who are, who are the um, folks in the biblical counseling movement? Um, I'm, I'm thinking not so much here about personal relationships, get to that in a minute, but just who are the people that have really influenced your thinking in the biblical counseling realm? Um, the writers, um, speakers, um, who, as you've contemplated them, even at lunch today, we were talking about some of the Puritans. And um, who, so, who are the folks that have that you've said that that has really been beneficial to me as I've as I've read and contemplated their works? Sure. Yeah. Well, back in college, when I was contemplating going to seminary, um, I had applied and got accepted to two seminaries, and I didn't know it at the time. But one seminary believed in biblical counseling, and the other seminary believed in an integrationist or Christian psychologist mm-hmm. model. And so as I'm interacting with the administration of both of these schools going, you know, you guys are very similar. What are the nuances? And, and they, they both noted that counseling was a big area of difference. And uh, the folks at Master Seminary said, well, you know, here, this book is going to help you. And they said, go out and buy J. Adams Competent to Counsel. So I read J. Adams Competent to Counsel during my senior year of engineering school. And, uh, and that really began to turn my world upside down. Mm. So that book, reading that book, even, even as an engineering student, not even a seminary student at that time, um, that was influential. Um, I think, uh, Paul Tripp's Instruments in Redeemer's Hands was very instrumental. Um, those were probably the two books early on that were the most helpful. I think in dealing with my own heart, you know, really seeing biblical counseling play out in my own heart, um, working through When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch, which came out while I was in seminary, and, and me being a card-carrying people pleaser, that was wonderful, wonderful counsel for my own heart and, and getting to apply a lot of this uh, applicationally. Um, and then as you indicated, I think learning about uh, the English Puritans, the Scottish Puritans in particular, 
um, and seeing that this thing we call biblical counseling is not really new. It just kind of got lost for a few generations of church history. And, uh, and yeah, guys like Richard Baxter and John Flavel, uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, uh, Thomas Watson, uh, John Owen, uh, and reading them and seeing biblical truth applied to life in very specific and particular ways, uh, th- those would be some of the main influences. Yeah. And what, what about people that you, you actually know, so flesh and blood people that you're interacting with, who are the, who are the influences in your life? You've mentioned uh, Dr. Stuart Scott, who I know has, has become a good friend of yours and, and a big influencer. Maybe you can talk about his influence or some others that, that have particularly poured their lives into you that, that you've said, um, I am uh, more like Christ because of these men. I am, I am a more faithful um, counselor, disciple, or trainer um, because of their influence in my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dr. Scott's the top of the list. Um, Dr. Scott, I, I've got his fingerprints all over my life and ministry. Um, I've told him this before, and I've said this publicly, that, that Dr. Scott was God's instrument to save my marriage before I had a marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking marriage and family counseling in seminary, uh, my wife and I were, you know, serious or engaged maybe even at the time. And, um, just so grateful for how God used that class, not just to teach me how to do marriage counseling, but to teach me how to do marriage and uh, the exposure of my own heart, the the learning to die to yourself, uh, to love another person, and, and then practical things. What is, what is uh, walking with Christ look like in the context of your marriage and how you communicate and how you forgive and how you assume biblical roles and, and work on problems together? Um, and then, as I mentioned, uh, getting to take one of uh, one of the last classes with Dr. Mack at the Masters University before he moved to Pretoria, South Africa to be a missionary um, and, and Dr. Mack's influence in those early, only one class, but, you know, Dr. Mack is, uh, he, you know, he was one of the, uh, the major pioneers of biblical counseling. And um, I think, um, man, um, beyond those two guys, I think more contemporary, um, so many of these brothers that we, we now have the privilege of having a personal relationship with. Yeah. I know that uh, Randy Patton was very influential um, in terms of um, early training for me. Um, uh, my ACBC super supervisor, Lloyd McKee, who's now with the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. Lloyd was um, a very gracious, um, wise mentor who worked me through my 50 hours of supervision, and I learned, I learned from him. Um, man, so many others, uh, Jim Neuheiser, um, you know, not knowing them personally, but, uh, you mentioned David Pallison, yeah. Paul Tripp, Ed Welch. Um, you know, I, I've met all three of those guys, but, you know, don't really know them, but just through their life and ministry, uh, have gleaned from their writings in particular. Um, yeah. And then, and then more recently, I think a guy like Heath Lambert, who, mm-hmm. you know, I got to know as he was really emerging in the biblical counseling movement and, yeah. and getting to, um, to know him and, and work with him in ACBC yeah. uh, as well. Well, mentioning, mentioning Heath might help us transition to another, another topic. And that is, um, you came here and in the early years, um, you were trying to find, um, a, a particular niche or place of, of ministry here and very quickly, um, we're gravitating towards biblical counseling and expanding uh, your role there. And then the Lord has just seemed to open door after door of opportunity for you. So maybe just kind of walk through what, 
what transitions have taken place in your life. Um, so you became certified, I don't remember, maybe 15, 16 years ago, something like that. And then, and then how the Lord has continued to expand your ministry, um, not just locally, but, but even nationally and internationally as, as you become more involved with ACBC. Yeah, I think it did start just coming out here. And uh, for those listeners that don't know, the reason I'm here is largely because of your influence, uh, getting to intern here under your ministry and your your mentorship, and then um, getting to come back in a full-time capacity. And, and so wanting to be mentored by you, wanting to learn from somebody that, that knows what they're doing and has experience uh, in pastoral ministry that, that I didn't have and, and knew I didn't have and didn't want to mess it up. Um, so when I came out here to Grace, I think that's, that's where it all starts, is a love for the local church, yeah. a love for this local church, a desire to be a faithful pastor and, and to know and to practice what true shepherding is. And we know from our Bibles that biblical counseling is not some appendage ministry done by professionals behind closed doors, that biblical counseling is an intensive expression of normal discipleship, which ought to be one of the hallmarks of every local church. And the pastor elders are the ones who are mainly equipping the saints to do that work, and and then they have a, a final jurisdiction, if you will, in terms of the shepherding care. And so I think coming out here, seeing you do that, seeing a church that um, uh, in many ways was doctrinally and philosophically you know, sound and, and doing all those things, and in my role, uh, I was hired essentially to, to train the trainers, to disciple the disciplers. So with my interest in biblical counseling and discipleship from seminary coming out here, it was a joy to say, okay, what does that look like in a local church now? And not, you know, we didn't build a... a counseling ministry the first year, it was coming alongside existing leaders and, and basically saying, you know, the airplane's trimmed out, I don't want to mess it up, but are there ways that I can encourage and better equip and then maybe make, you know, changes that were needed? Um, but that was a slow process. But I think in wanting to train the trainers, that's one of the things that I did was to to try to offer some training and some classes and whatnot and just how do we do discipleship? What does that look like in children's ministry or men's ministry? And what I found was that my notes from pastoral counseling with Dr. Scott back at Masters was great material. So I just, you know, went into Microsoft Word and did the find and replace and (laughs) changed all the references from biblical counseling to discipleship. And then, you know, you do it and it works. And, uh, and that, those early days of training turned into an interest um, in terms of more formal counseling. So that turned into what is now our, our biblical counselor training class, uh, which we now do in a conference format. So that's really how it started. Uh, you mentioned along the way uh, I got ACBC certified. Um, I got serious about that by going to my first NANC conference in Lafayette, Indiana at, at, um, uh, at the church out there. And... Um, Anyway, so that just started a progression of things here in the church, I think, is, um, as that began to develop and for um, more formal counseling. Uh, you, you and I actually attended another conference yes. in Lafayette on uh, how to start a counseling ministry. Right. And uh, our dear friends at Grace Community Church Glenrose, uh, just down the road from us, they happened to be at that same conference, and so we were paralleling one another in terms of developing a formal counseling ministry. Uh, and then once we were doing counselor training as an ACBC training center, uh, really the final step was the elders huddling up here and saying, hey, we, we really would like to do supervision. 
Uh, we all drew straws. If I remember right, I got the short straw, so I was the guy to go back to school to get the other degree to end up being an ACBC supervisor. And yeah. so now we do training, you know, really from the yeah. classroom time all the way through the um, the actual supervision process. So that's that's kind of been the progression. And and as you look as you look over the fifteen plus years uh, that we've been doing formal counseling ministry, um, what have, what has been? You've already alluded to maybe the some of the impact on the on the local church, but um, for a plane that was, as you say, already trimmed out and 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 doing fairly well, what have been some of the benefits to the church body? But then even beyond that, what what's been the benefit to the counseling ministry as you've seen it here um, in the community, and how's it changed the way we think about um, life and ministry and serving others even outside the church body? You know, there's lots of probably lots of ways that it, it's enhanced ministry here. I think one unexpected uh, benefit that I know we've all talked about recently is I don't think we realized how strategic it would be for evangelism to start a community counseling ministry right here in the Bible Belt. And and for those of you that don't live in the Bible Belt, uh, you know, we live in an area where most people around us would either say that they're Christians or be very agreeable to that. And, and you realize that when you get under the hood of that sort of cultural Christianity, um, you know, a lot of that is really a cultural version. Uh, it really isn't true gospel conversion necessarily. So what's been neat about our community counseling ministry, which means we, we have a ministry in our church where anybody can come to counseling uh, for free in our church. And um, once you start to get into the lives of people, especially the personal counseling problems, you get to see really the true nature of their faith. And a lot of times that that faith is really not what it needs to be at that point. So I think we found that the counseling ministry has been a, a wonderfully strategic evangelism strategy for people that aren't afraid to come to a church. Yeah. Uh, that's our culture, right? There, there's an agreeableness to it. But then it also allows us to help them to see how uh, true faith in Christ really transforms and, and helps uh, in the everyday problems of life. So I, I think that's probably the, the greatest benefit yeah. that we've seen here. Um, maybe another one is, is I hope that over the years of emphasizing this from the pulpit when you preach all the way down to our nursery, um, that discipleship and caring for other people and speaking the truth in love is not something that just the pastors do or, you know, ACBC certified counselors do is yeah. as wonderful as those people are. Um, but discipleship is something that every Christian is called to. And because of the sufficiency of Christ and his word, we are all truly competent to counsel yes. as we minister to one another. So I'd hope that people here would say, hey, you know, oh, you're struggling in your marriage. They wouldn't say, hey, go to our counseling ministry, that right then and there they would say, well, tell me about that. And they would they would pray for them. They would open God's word with them. They would encourage them with what they knew right then and there. Um, and, and I think that that has changed the culture of our church for the yes. better. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think one of the things we've been strategic to do is just encourage all of our members to participate in the... Um, at least the, the basic training course, and, and being very very overt to say, uh, we're not expecting all of you to be formal biblical counselors. Um, and we're not expecting all of you to sit at a desk. Some of you, for a variety of reasons, shouldn't be sitting at a desk um, to do formal biblical counselors. But all of you are counselors, and, and, and all of you need to grow in Christ, and all of you will benefit from this training, both in your own personal life 
as well as um, in helping others also. And, and I think that's been one of the, the real benefits as, as you've led that in our church body. I, I think that's, that's had a massive impact on helping our people to grow more to be like our Savior. And I'm very, very thankful for that. Um, how has how has biblical counseling changed you? I mean, you've already talked a little bit about your marriage and, and uh, Dr. Scott's influence in your marriage. Um, any other areas where you'd say, if it hadn't been for the influence of biblical counseling, I would be um, less effective in this area in my life? That's a hard question to answer, and it's even difficult to quantify. Mm. Um, I... I I really don't know, to be honest. Um, God's kindness in exposing me to the gospel and calling me to himself and then immediately putting influences mm. in my life that forced life application of those truths and not just a cognitive understanding of theology. Um, yeah, it's, it's innumerable ways that that has impacted yeah. me. I think... Um, part of God's redemption of my engineering days was what drew me to engineering was a desire to solve problems, to understand how things worked, um, design things that do some sort of task. And, uh, you know, of course, the drawback is, um, you know, counseling is not about fixing people, although if you're not careful, it can become that. Uh, counseling is about ministering to people and caring for people, and, and that does include helping them solve problems, but to fundamentally look at them as a fellow image bearer redeemed yes. by God for His glory, not as a problem to solve. So that's been maybe something I've had to overcome and still have to work on. But, uh, but my point is, you know, I've always been very pragmatic and have, have thought about things at that level, so to see theology turn into application and, and it, it's, it's, it's answering the question, so what, you know, I can, I can be dazzled by this truth and that's great, but, but what's the doxological purpose? What's, what's the goal? And even, even, you know, it changes how you read your Bible. You know, yeah. you can read your Bible and look for theology all over the place and say, wow, this is theology. But actually the way theology comes to us in the scripture always has some sort of practical implication, whether it's, yeah. God revealing himself to Moses as the compassionate and merciful and forgiving God in Exodus 34 that comes on the heels of this overt expression of rebellion in the idolatry of the golden calf, you know, or, um, you know, so many examples where you see theology presented in a way that's designed to transform your life. And so I think for me personally, just bringing together that, that pragmatism that was God-given even before my conversion but then seeing theology come to where this really is about helping people to grow and change, mm -hmm. not, not just to learn new things. Yeah, that, that's helpful. The Lord has um, seen fit to really expand your, your ministry and your influence, and um, you do a lot of teaching for ACBC as well as for um, our counseling ministry here, uh, the Biblical Counseling Discipleship Center. Um, maybe talk about your role for a minute about ACBC, you, you are a fellow, a supervisor for ACBC, but you're also a board member of ACBC. I think one of about 15 or 16 guys, if I remember right. Um, so what, what is your role on the board and how, how, um, how do you see that um, growing or expanding? Or what are, what are some of the things that are on your mind as you think about 
um, shepherding biblical counselors uh, from from a distance and from thirty thousand feet, so to speak. Yeah, you know, I, at the ACB, I, this this is still kind of a, a moment of surrealism where you know I sit around a room at our ACBC board meetings with a group of my heroes. And it's like, what am I doing here? (laughs) These are my mentors. These are the guys whose books I read. And, um, no, it's, it's a humbling privilege. I feel like I'm, I'm, uh, you know, still very much a rookie board member, but, um, just trying to contribute in the band of brothers to honor Christ and to make our organization, uh, faithful to its roots and faithful, most importantly to God and to his word. And, um, there's all sorts of things we do as board members. We're all very busy. We all have other responsibilities, as, as I do uh, here at the church. Um, but um, yeah, there's all sorts of things we're working on um, there, uh, from policy to you know new specializations to uh, decisions about um, you know who's going to speak at our next conference and, and new uh, new fellows. Uh, one of the subcommittees I'm involved in is. Uh, uh, basically, the guys that are fellows in training are fellow candidates, and uh, so that's a real privilege to get to work with a team of guys that's yeah. helping the next generation of ACBC supervisors uh, there. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, as a fellow, I get to supervise uh, counselors in training, so that's a real privilege to get to do. People literally all over the world and people right here in Granbury, Texas. Um, and then uh, having some opportunity to travel internationally and teach um in churches or, or seminaries uh, where we have some sort of connection with. So yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes I get up in the morning and pinch myself and just say, I don't understand why or how these things are the way it is, but to just try to be faithful and then to be humbled by God's grace and, and to do what I can to honor him and to train others to do the same. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, as you think about the biblical counseling movement uh, at, at large, what are your... Um, what are your hopes and desires for the biblical counseling movement? How would you, it, it seems to be um, somewhat in flux it, it, in the moment. I mean, there, there are a variety of, of, of aspects of those who would call themselves biblical counselors that are somewhat different from each other. So as you think about the purity of the movement, wanting to make sure that we are rooted in biblical text and guiding people from the scriptures as God has revealed them, what would be some of your hopes and desires for how we can continue to help train, equip? Where, where do you want to see biblical counseling in 10 years or 20 years? What, what are some of the advances you'd like to see made in this area? I think one thing that's good and encouraging about today is people want to be known as biblical counselors. Mm. And there was a time, unfortunately, in the not-too-recent past where a lot of Christian counselors would not want to have been known as a biblical counselor, not, not because they didn't care about the Bible or, or anything like that, but, but that uh, that title uh, was not positive to them for whatever reason. And I think one of the good things about today is you know people want to be known as biblical counselors, and then they want to be functioning to some degree as a biblical counselor. The negative side of that is biblical counseling no longer means something objective. Uh, Biblical counseling is a a term that is so broad today that you really kind of have to ask the next question. You know, what do you mean by that? Um, So what do I hope for the biblical counseling movement? I, I hope that Christians will 
really truly define their care of other people based on the text of Scripture. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what our church says or ACBC says or anybody's organization. It matters what God says, and so we must define discipleship care and, and, and ministry care to other people based upon what the text of Scripture says. So biblical counseling no matter what you want to say about it, must be defined by what the text says, because only what God says matters. So my hope would be that all of these new people that want to be biblical counselors and some that even think that they're biblical counselors would really truly look at the text and say, am I, by God's grace, really emphasizing what God emphasizes? Am I using biblical categories to understand problems in people? Am I really truly majoring on God's solutions as found in, in Jesus and the gospel and progressive sanctification and, and uh, the, the graces that we find in salvation in the broadest sense? Um, and do I really truly believe that the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant, inspired, sufficient word of God? Am I actually caring for people like that's true? Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, um, what we actually do in a conversation of care with people is what exposes what we really believe about counseling and what we really believe about the Bible and what we really believe about God and people. So my hope would be that Christians all over would really truly define themselves in terms of what they do on the basis of what the Bible actually says. And, you know, if we major in what God says, and by God's grace, we try to care for people the way God says, everything's going to be okay. Because we know that um, the power of Christ uh, is sufficient for all things pertaining to life and godliness, and that that power, that, that divine power of Christ that Second uh, Peter 1 talks about is mediated through his precious and magnificent promises as energized by the Spirit of God, as we see at the end of that text, um, and that's where it is. That's where ministry will always be. That's where caring for people will always honor God. Yeah. You know, as I think about the legacy of your ministry here, and, and when I say that, I, I hope I'm not inferring that it's about to end because uh, we love you here and we, we want you here and are grateful that you're here. But um, as I think about your legacy, how, how has Keith Palmer influenced the, the church here um, I think that's one of the the great marks. You you don't just talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. You are always pulling us, whether it's an el elder meeting or or you and I um, having a casual conversation at lunch or interacting with people um, in the counseling room or just talking in the ch in in the parking lot after church. You're constantly coming back to this theme of. Uh, what is what do the scriptures have to say? What do the scriptures compel us to do? Um, as as has been said, you're not just dogmatic; you're bulldogmatic on on that issue, and and that's been to our benefit. We we have grown in Christ um, through your influence in that area because you're you're constantly um, helping us to think about what are the biblical implications for caring for souls and, and what are the implications of texts in the particular ways that we're caring for souls. And, um, and I'm, I'm just deeply, profoundly thankful for that. And I, I'm thankful for our friendship. Uh, the Lord has seen fit to uh, bind us together 17, eight, almost 18 years ago now uh, was our first contact. And um, I'm just thankful for your influence in my life. I look at um, Grace Bible Church, and I see your fingerprints um, or God's fingerprints through your life 
on so many aspects of, of our ministry and in virtually every individual's life. Um, you've just had a, a deeply profound impact on us, and I'm, I'm, I rejoice in how the Lord is using you in so many broader ways, way more than any of us could have ever imagined how God might use you and use the ministry here. And very profoundly thankful for that, and I'm grateful that you allowed me to turn the tables, as it were, this afternoon and um, ask you some questions and for us to have an opportunity to hear your heart uh, for Christ, for the ministry, and uh, for what God can do through the scriptures and through uh, the biblical counseling movement. So thanks for thanks for sharing with us this afternoon. Well, praise the Lord and thank, thankful to the Lord for you as well. And um, now you can get these ropes and handcuffs <laughs> off of me. That's so. right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Counsel the Word. We want to invite you to our 2019 annual training conference in biblical counseling. Uh, this conference is located right here in Granbury, Texas in the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area. And we host this conference over three weekends, September 13 to 14, October 18 to 19, and November 15 to 16. We have three different tracks that we're offering this year from a basics of biblical counseling track all the way through uh, counseling specializations uh, offered through ACBC and an ACBC exam track for those of you that may be interested in becoming a certified counselor. So if that would be of interest to you, we'd love to invite you. We'd love to see you right here in Granbury this fall uh, to register for the conference or to get more information. You can go to our website at thecbcd.org. And we thank you again for listening.